0: Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. This is the 28th chapter. And beginning with the 10th verse, and we pick up in the life of Jacob, where there has been a real family fight, and his brother has threatened to kill him, and he is running from home. And Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Take one of the stones of the place, place, he put it under his head, and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Jacob, of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. And that your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth bless themselves. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land For I will not leave you until I have done That which I have spoken to you Then Jacob awoke from his sleep And said surely the Lord is in this place And I did not know it And he was afraid and said How awesome is this place This is none other than the house of God And this is the gate of heaven So Jacob rose early in the morning He took the stone which he had put under his head And set it up for a fella and poured oil on it, on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me, and this way that I go, and will give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for Apollo shall be God's house, and of all that thou givest me, I will give the tent back to thee. Lord, help us to understand this relationship that this man had with God. And if you would read on into the 31st chapter of the book of Genesis, which covers some funny sentences, you would find the Lord appearing to Jacob a second time and telling him to return to Bethel to return to Bethel. We are celebrating this week that marks the beginning of this great nation of ours. Some 204 years ago, a great nation was born and still is the greatest nation upon the face of this God-given earth. In all probability, it is the greatest nation that has ever been. Right now, You and I are part of it. And the reason why it is such a great nation, I would guess, is because God has blessed it. And the reason that God has blessed it is simply because, in all probability, the laws of this land are more in keeping with his spirit and his laws than any other land upon the face of this earth. Our forefathers had a concept of a nation being under God. And so that's why this nation is the nation that it is today. Now we're told and even sense it that we live in a difficult time in relation to the rest of the world. It seems that the rest of the world has turned on us to some degree and look at us in a very, very critical way, and I am quite sure that some of it And they're to be justified in thinking the way that they're thinking. Because we have not always done everything that should have been done in relation to the rest of the world. And so we come to this place of where we are today. And we think about this great land of ours and our way of life. And this great freedom that you and I experience and enjoy. Some say it is doomed. Some say it is only a matter of time uh, before we come to some other form of government. But Whether we're able to stand or not will depend a great de- degree, not upon some politician, not to whether or not we have one that is able to deliver us in some wisdom or cunning way, or whether we have some fantastic program or some great army or an arsenal like no other nation upon the face of the earth. All these things should be, and all, all these things ought to be. But when we come to the place to think of this as being our deliverer, beloved, this country of ours will be in great trouble and great danger, to say the least. If the hand of the destroyer is to be stayed, it will not be any of these things. It will be because we have honored our relationship with our God, and we have we remain true to the concept that our forefathers had of a nation being under the leadership of a living God. And now that depends, you see, whether or not uh, we are to remain the great country we are upon you and me at the grassroot level. It depends on our relationship with our God. And it is at this point that this scripture comes alive for us today. And I want you to think about it in relation to our land, our country, in relation to your own place in this world, and in relation to your relationship with your God. The story part of it that I read to you this morning is a very interesting one to say the least, and the problems that can happen within a society and within a family are as old as these, at least this scripture. Now Jacob was a rascal, there's no question about that. Uh, he was a deceiver, he was a cheat, uh, he was a coward, and at the time we catch up with him in the scripture here, he is running for his life. He is leaving because his brother threatened to kill him. He had cheated his brother out of his uh, blessing, his birthright, and had uh, deceived his old father that was not able to see, and he's a very cunning person. And when his brother told him that he was going to kill him, it was enough to scare him, and he left the country. Now Jacob had the concept of his God as being a God in a local place, you know. And so when he left his father's house and left that part of the country that he knew, it meant that he was leaving his God. And so we see Jacob as he flees for his life alone and lonely. The sun goes down. And here he is in this desolate, lonely place. The only thing that he can find to comfort him is a rock. And he places it under his head as a pillow to sleep that night. And after he had gone to sleep, he had this vision. And he saw a ladder that reached from the earth into heaven. And he saw the angels ascending and descending, going up and down the ladder. And then he was conscious of the fact that God was there. He was aware of the presence of a living God. Now this startled him because he thought he had left God, you see. And here he had uh, this, this awesome experience with the presence of God. Now it begins to make sense to us why Bethel was such an important part in the lives of God's people. Because you see, Bethel in the first place is an experience oh it is a place but it's more of an experience than it is a place Bethel is an experience here this man alone and lonely had this awesome experience with God it is no wonder that he said this is an awesome place and that word awesome could have been translated the the Hebrew word could have been translated in a little better way this is a frightening place this is a scary place I'm standing in the very presence of God. And for those people, it was always, they didn't think that they could stand in the presence of God and live. And so he, this is an awesome place. This is a scary place that I, that I find myself. But he realized that he was standing in the presence of God. I'm going to tell you about an experience. It could be one of many experiences I've had to say the same thing. But this one seems to fit better this morning. I remember a Presbyterian preacher called me. He had graduated from the seminary here and I knew him, but he didn't like the church too well to be a preacher and so he went back to school and became a doctor. He was doing his internship over here at the old St. Joe Hospital and one night, quite late, he called me and said, Don, he said, come over to the hospital. He says there's a little couple here that needs you. He says I can't help them because they look to me as their doctor and I'm their doctor and they need somebody to minister to them and would you come and I said yes I'll come will you be there and he said yes I'll I'll be here and meet you on the floor and tell you the situation but they need you back and so I went over to the hospital the doctor told me he said there's a little one here I forgot now but less than six months of age and was real sick and he said to me he said now there's no way that this baby can live. There's no way. It's a medical impossibility. He's going to die. And that said, uh, prepare the family for that. Well, they took me in the waiting room and introduced me to a little couple, a very handsome little couple, a very beautiful little girl and a very handsome young man. And it was their firstborn, and, and they were just torn apart. They were just torn up as well as you might might guess and understand that they would be because they knew that the little one couldn't live. And, and so I talked to the parents a little while and, and then I went out and found my friend and I said, would it be all right if the three of us went into the to their little room and stood by the crib of the little baby? And he said it would be perfectly all right. And so he took us down and took us in there and then closed the door and, and told the nurses not to bother us. Standing there by that little crib, with all of those tubes and needles in that little body. And watching it as, as it trembled. Every time i would take a breath, the, little, the whole body would vibrate. It was under such labor to even to breathe. Anyone could look at the baby and know that that may be its last breath. But standing there, ready to have a prayer, something happened. Oh, it wasn't anything visible that I could see. It was was, was me. It was an experience is what I'm talking about. And I began to realize at that very moment something of exactly what Jacob, the experience that he had. I was standing in the presence of God. I don't care if there had been an angel from heaven came down to tell me, No, you're not in the presence of God. I would have been as Paul. Go back to heaven. You've made a mistake. I know that I'm standing in the presence of God. The Lord is standing here. I can't see him, but I can sense his presence. And I begin to tremble like that little baby was trembling. And we got through it. I don't know how we got through it. But oh, what an experience it was. But I'll tell you, that little baby, so far as I know, is still living today. And as a teenager, and maybe he's older than a teenager. That's been several years ago. I'm talking about an experience Have you ever been in a place somewhere Some place where That you knew at that very moment That you were standing in the presence of God No guessing anymore about Whether or not the Lord can make his way known There's no guessing about it anymore No guessing whether there's a God or not No guessing about whether there's another life And another dimension to this life That we can't see The only thing we can do is know it And we can sense it Well, we've been to that place. Bethel is an experience. Bethel is a place. place where Jacob met God. No more just his family situation. No more living under the influence of his his mother and father to to tell them about about their God. Here's where this young man comes to the place where he stands face to face with God himself. A place like Paul on a Damascus road ran head on into the Lord Jesus Christ, was blind for a while. Like John Wesley at Aldersgate, where he sensed his and felt his heart strangely warmed. Well, I stood in that place, the marker there, where John Wesley was to have, where he had that great experience. Well, where is your place? Well, in all probability, some church somewhere, some some after somewhere, but we've had those experiences. We know the place. We know the place where we, we have felt that we were in the presence of a living God. There's a place of commitment too and dedication. You know, you can say what you will about Jacob, and he was a rascal. There's no question about that. He, he was a thief, he was a deceiver, and he was a coward. And you could say a lot of more things about him that would all be negative. But one thing I want to say about this fellow that made the Lord love him, and that, he is, that is he did not slough off this experience that, that he had, he didn't t- take it as a, in a casual way. Uh, we hear the call of God today, and our hearts are set afar, and we have a clear vision of what we ought to do when we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling, and then we refuse to honor that experience. And we say, wait a while. I want to think about it. One of the most frustrating things to me and one of the greatest disappointments within my ministry has always been at this level. Where you're conscious of the fact that God is dealing with someone. The Lord is calling. You know that they know that the Lord is calling. You sense it. You can see it in their life. You know that the Lord is dealing with them through the Holy Spirit. And then they hesitate. Oh, wait a while. I want to think about it a while I want to talk it over I want to wait a couple of weeks And see what the situation is And it comes to the place Where the vision fades And the experience dies But not with Jacob No When he realized that he was in the presence Of the living God And God was dealing with him With him he went into went into action What did the first thing he did He set up an altar on it in addition of his fathers his forefathers let it be known that this is the place where I met God let it be known as the house of God let it be known as the gateway to heaven let it be known that here is a place where God dwells oh to God that we were as missionary minded as, as he was to tell everybody let it be set and stoned that God is God and I've had an experience with him and I know it and then second thing he did he made a vow he made a vow he didn't have to think it over he didn't have to go to sleep on it and talk it over he made a vow to God right then what he was going to do this past birthday of mine <clears throat> I got a card as usual from a dear friend that, too, goes back across the years. And I remember this lady so very vividly that one Monday morning. She came to the parsonage about 8 o'clock in the morning. It was way too early for anybody to be religious, you know, 8 o'clock. And she came, and I knew that she wasn't having anything religious on her mind. She had problems, difficulties, so I knocked on the door and let her in. We went into the front room and She didn't ask me how I was, how I was getting along, and she said, Preacher, tell me how to be saved. Tell me how to be saved. And I proceeded to tell this lady how to be saved. And after I finished with it, she says, I I want to accept Christ now. I don't want to wait till Sunday, I want to do it now. I'll do it then too and make it known in front of God's people. But but I want to accept Christ now. Now that's fine, we'll do it together. And the old Parsonage couch. It was a true Parsonage couch, you know. We made an altar out of that old couch. And she got down on her knees and I got down on my knees and that became our altar. And she accepted Christ. And she made a vow. And so far as I know, that she's kept that vow until this day that she made. When the Lord appeared to Abraham, appeared to Jacob, and he knew it was the Lord, you see what he did? He said, after he fixed his altar, he said, I am going to give you a tithe, a tenth. Of everything you give to me Now notice what this man recognized He recognized that whatever he got in life Was going to come from the hand of God Now it differs from us a little bit you see Because we think it's at the result of these ends of ours Or this capable brain of ours Our scheming has given it to us And so we don't care whether we give back to God What he's given to us or not now, folks, that's right, religious, you know, when something happens like that, you know, when you say, get up from the, from the altar and say, look, a, a tenth of what you give to me, and that means everything that I have is going to come from you. It's not going to come from anybody else. Whatever you give to me, Lord, I'm going to give a tithe of it back to you. Now, you think I'm preaching a sermon this morning to help us overcome some of our indebtedness? No, not at all. I'm talking about a commitment that a person makes when they know that God is God and when they know that they belong to God and when they know that they're in the hand of God and when they know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now I'm in a position to deal with God. I know this man knew. He made a vow. Count on it. What I'm going to do (coughs) for the God that I know that I have. Now while I return (coughs) then to to Bethel (coughs) Jacob met God and he had this marvelous experience. (coughs) But he runs into the same situation that you and I run into. It's amazing just how Hell it really doesn't change too much, really. The difficulty that he had. He had a world that he had to deal with. And it was hard and frustrating and difficult. Just as if you find life hard and rough and difficult, well, this man found it that way too, you see. You see, he had two basic problems, and they remain ours today. He had a problem with people. Now, he really did have a people problem. He had an old uncle by the name of Laban, and he was a foxy one, to say the least. He was a schemer of schemers, if ever two sharks met. When Jacob and his old uncle got together, now they tried to outscheme one another. And you remember that uh, Uncle Laban changed his salary by three different, three or four different times when the, he told the, his uh, Jacob that now you can have all the cattle that are spotted. Well, you don't have spotted cattle. Well, a lot of calves come along spotted, you know. And so he said, "Now that's no good. Next year, all the striped ones look like zebras you can have. And so the Lord looked after old Jacob, and and he had a lot of zebras born that year. And so the next year he changed something else. They came to the place, you know, Jacob was in love with, uh, with Rachel, the beautiful younger daughter. And said, I'll work for you seven years, uncle, if you'll, if you'll let me, me have her as my wife. I love her. The agreement was made. And he worked his seven years. And the scripture said it only seemed a short period of time because he loved her so. And then when the marriage ceremony was over and he took a good look at who he married and found that he had married the older daughter, his father-in-law had tricked him again. Now what a situation that was. I had cause to think again of something that's happened within my family, and it's pretty well documented. It happened so long ago that I can tell it without being embarrassed about the situation. But my great-grandfather, out here close to Bargetown, had a lot of property, a lot of property. But he had a sister that came into this part of the country with him from God only knows where. And and he had to take care of this sister. He had the responsibility for her. And he thought he was going to have to keep her, I'm quite sure, the rest of her days. Because, and she must have been ugly. Oh, she must have been ugly. Nobody in the community would marry her. No one would go with well. her. Now, she was an ugly one, to be sure. And they said she was ugly. And he decided the only way that he was going to get rid of her would be to find a young man that needed a farm and so he found one, he said, now I'll give you, I think it was 300 some acres, I'll give you 300 acres of this is good ground if you'll just marry my sister. Well he married her, and so that part he gave my inheritance away just to get that old sister here's marriage. Well anyway, now Leah must have been that way, you know, I don't know. But anyway he was tricked into And to marry her, and he had to work another seven years before he finally married the one that he was in love with. But people got in his way. You know, I could do just fine if people didn't get in my way. I love people, but you know they have a way of getting in my way and causing me to do things that I don't want to do. I'm so kind and considerate and loving and understanding until somebody gets in my way. And then I am embarrassed by the way that I act sometimes. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you don't have that problem. But he had a problem with people. He had a problem with his, with his father. He had a problem with his brother. Ran off from his mother. Had a problem with the, everybody was trying to do him in, it seems like. Well, he had, he had another problem. And he had a problem with wealth. He had a problem with trying to get wealth. That put it the more perfect way he had a problem with trying to make a living and to accumulate things of this world he was so busy scheming and accumulating and figuring out how he could outdo his old father-in-law and do him in and get the best of him that two things happened to him two bad things happened to him his family took up the worship of idols oh he was so busy making a living he didn't pay attention to what his, his children were doing You know the thing that really disturbs me, it really does disturb me. I see a man and woman that have a family. Their parents had given to them the benefit of a faith, taking them to church. But then these two people come along and they know Christ. They know something about what it means to have a God and to to believe. But they bring their children up in such a way that they give them no concept that there's another way of life. And this is what was happening to Jacob. He was so busy making a living that his, his family turned to a pagan god. Maybe a sun worship, I don't know. Or the sunbathing, I don't know. But it was something other than the living God. Second thing that happened to him this wonderful personal experience that he had with God. The vow didn't seem to be too important anymore. The joy that he had was gone. And he drifted from the course that he knew that he should go. His religion grew cold. And he drifted far from what he said that he was going to do. Now the years have gone by, some 20 of them. And now he comes to a place in his life where he begins to think in terms of going home. You know, sometimes that comes. It's interesting. There's a time within your life that you never think about it. And then there's other times within your life that heaven becomes a little closer. And a little closer because you have more people going there. And so it becomes, you think about, that. he was thinking about going back to his earthly home though. And he knew that he was in no condition to go home. He was in no condition to go home. He, was a, he needed something that he did not have. And he began to worry about this situation. He knew that he should. Things ought to be this way. I should do it. And it was that time, at that very time, when he was struggling with that awesome question, that God spoke to him a second time. And this is the interesting thing he said to him. Jacob Go back to Bethel. Why go back to Bethel? I ask the question. Why? Because this is the place where you were able to see into eternity. This is the place where you were able to stand with me. This is the place where you knew to do what you needed to do to be my person. So go back to to Bethel. Return to Bethel, renew this relationship with me, and then you will be prepared to do whatever needs to be done. Well, Bethel for most of us is an altar somewhere, a place where we have experienced God and committed ourselves to him. Dear friends, let me say to you, for the sake of our country, for the sake of our church, for the sake of our children. And for the sake of our own heart and soul, if it be that we find that we have drifted anywhere from God, or if it be that we find ourselves in a position this morning where we we need to renew that experience with God, let's take this as the opportune time for us to do it. You know the thing that amazes me, that absolutely staggers me when I think about it. When God spoke to Jacob and said, "Jacob." He said to him, in effect, this. He said, Jacob, go back to the altar. Go back to the altar. If you want to be prepared to do whatever you have to do in this life, go back to the altar. And the thing that amazes me, that Jacob did exactly what God said. That very day, he told his family, put away from you everything. Pack up everything that we have. Get ready to leave. We are going to go to Bethel. We are going to go back to that place where God is real and then we will go from there to do whatever else he has called us to do. Dear friends, maybe you and I, our country, our family, we stand at that place too today. If so, as we sing this closing hymn, if you feel that you have a need to come to this altar here, Come to this Bethel. You come as we sing this closing hymn. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.